Letter one of Clarissa Harlowe or the History of a Young Lady, Volume five. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Nicole Lee. Clarissa Harlowe or the History of a Young Lady, Volume five by Samuel Richardson. Letter one. Mr. Lovelace to John Belford, Esquire, Friday evening. Just returned from an airing with my charmer complied with after great importunity. She was attended by the two nymphs. They both topped their parts, kept their eyes within bounds, made moral reflections now and then. Oh, Jack, what devils are women, when all tests are got over, and we have completely ruined them. The coach carried us to Hampstead, to Highgate, to Muswell Hill, back to Hampstead, to the upper flask. There, in compliment to the nymphs, my beloved consented to alight, and take a little repast, then home early, by Kentish Town. Delightfully easy she, and so respectful and obliging, I, all the way, and as we walked out upon the heath to view the variegated prospects which that agreeable elevation affords, that she promised to take now and then a little excursion with me. I think, Miss Howe, I think, said I to myself, every now and then as we walked, that thy wicked devices are superseded. But let me give thee a few particulars of our conversation in the circumrotation we took while in the coach. She had received a letter from Miss Howe yesterday, I presumed. She made no answer. How happy should I think myself to be admitted into their correspondence! I would joyfully make an exchange of communications. So, though I hope not to succeed by her consent, and little did she think I had so happily in part succeeded without it, I thought it not amiss to urge for it for several reasons among others, that I might account to her for my constant employment at my pen, in order to take off her jealousy, that she was the subject of thy correspondence and mine, and that I might justify my secrecy and uncommunicativeness by her own. I proceeded, therefore, that I loved familiar letter-writing, as I had more than once told her, above all the species of writing, it was writing from the heart, without the fetters prescribed by method or study, as the very word core-respondence implied not the heart only, the soul was in it. Nothing of body when friend writes to friend, the mind impelling sovereignly the vassal fingers. It was, in short, friendship recorded, friendship given under hand and seal, demonstrating that the parties were under no apprehension of changing from time or accident, when they so liberally gave testimonies which would always be ready, on failure or infidelity, to be turned against them. For my own part, it was the principal diversion I had in her absence, but for this innocent amusement, the distance she so frequently kept me at, would have been intolerable. As Sally knew my drift, and said, she had had the honour to see two or three of my letters, and of Mr. Belford's, and she thought them the most entertaining that she had ever read. My friend Belford, I said, had a happy talent in the letter-writing way, and upon all subjects. I expected my beloved would have been inquisitive after our subject, but, lying perdue as I saw, not a word said she, so I touched upon this article myself. Our topics were various and diffuse, sometimes upon literary articles, she was very attentive upon this, sometimes upon the public entertainments, sometimes amusing each other with the fruits of the different correspondences we held with persons abroad, with whom we had contracted friendships, sometimes upon the foibles and perfections of our particular friends, sometimes upon our own present and future hopes, sometimes aiming at humour and raillery upon each other. It might indeed appear to savour vanity to suppose my letters would entertain a lady of her delicacy and judgment, but yet I could not but say 
that perhaps she would be far from thinking so hardly of me, as sometimes she had seemed to do, if she were to see the letters which generally pass between Mr. Belford and me. I hope, Jack, thou hast more manners than to give me the lie, though but in thy heart. She then spoke, after declining my compliment in such a manner, as only a person can do who deserved it, she said. For her part, she had always thought me a man of sense. A man of sense, Jack, what a niggardly praise! And should therefore hope that, when I wrote, it exceeded even my speech, for that it was impossible be the letters written in as easy and familiar a style as they would, but that they must have that advantage from sitting down to write them, which prompt speech could not always have. She should think it very strange, therefore, if my letters were barren of sentiment, and as strange if I gave myself liberties upon premeditation, which could have no excuse at all, but from a thoughtlessness, which itself wanted excuse. But if Mr. Belford's letters and mine were upon subjects so general, and some of them equally, she presumed, instructive and entertaining, she could not but say that she should be glad to see any of them, and particularly those which Miss Martin had seen and praised. This was put close. I looked at her, to see if I could discover any tincture of jealousy in this hint, that Miss Martin had seen what I had not shown to her, but she did not look it. So I only said I should be very proud to show her not only those, but all that passed between Mr. Belford and me, but I must remind her that she knew the condition. No, indeed, with a sweet lip pouted out, as saucy as pretty, implying a lovely scorn, that yet can only be lovely in youth so blooming, and beauty so divinely distinguished. How I long to see such emotion again! Her mouth only can give it. But I am mad with love. Yet eternal will be the distance at the rate I go on. Now fire, now ice, my soul is continually upon the hiss, as I may say. In vain, however, is the trial to quench, what, after all, is unquenchable. Prithee, Belford, forgive my nonsense, and my Vulcan-like metaphors. Did I not tell thee, not that I am sick of love, but that I am mad with it? Why brought I such an angel into such a house, into such company? And why do I not stop my ears to the sirens, who, knowing my aversion to wedlock, are perpetually touching that string? I was not willing to be answered so easily. I was sure that what passed between two such young ladies, friends so dear, might be seen by everybody. I had more reason than anybody to wish to see the letters that passed between her and Miss Howe, because I was sure they must be full of admirable instruction, and one of the dear correspondents had deigned to wish my entire reformation. She looked at me as if she would look me through. I thought I felt eye-beam after eye-beam penetrate my shivering reins. But she was silent, nor needed her eyes the assistance of speech. Nevertheless, a little recovering myself, I hoped that nothing unhappy had befallen either Miss Howe or her mother. The letter of yesterday sent by a particular hand, she opening it with great emotion, seeming to have expected it sooner, were the reasons for my apprehensions. We were then at Muswell Hill, a pretty country within the eye, to Polly was the remark, instead of replying to me. But I was not so to be answered. I should expect some charming subjects and characters from two such pens. I hoped everything went on well between Mr. Hickman and Miss Howe. Her mother's heart, I said, was set upon that match. Mr. Hickman was not without his merits. He is what the ladies called a sober man, but I must needs say that I thought Miss Howe deserved a husband of a very different cast. This, I suppose, would have engaged her into a subject from which I could have wire-drawn something. For Hickman is one of her favourites. Why, I can't divine, except for the sake of opposition of character to that of thy honest friend. But she cut me short by a look of disapprobation, and another cool remark upon a distant view. And how far off, Miss Horton, do you think that clump of trees may be? Pointing out of the coach. So I had done. 
Here endeth all I have to write concerning our conversation on this our agreeable airing. We have both been writing ever since we came home. I am to be favoured with her company for an hour before she retires to rest. All that obsequious love can suggest, in order to engage her tenderest sentiments for me against to-morrow's sickness, will I aim at when we meet, but at parting will complain of a disorder in my stomach. We have met. All was love and unexceptionable respect on my part, ease and complaisance on hers. She was concerned for my disorder, so sudden, just as we parted. But it was nothing. I should be quite well by the morning. Faith, Jack, I think I am sick already. Is it possible for such a giddy fellow as me to persuade myself to be ill? I am a better mimic at this rate than I wish to be. But every nerve and fibre of me is always ready to contribute its aid, whether by health or by ailment, to carry a resolved-on roguery into execution. Dorcas has transcribed for me the whole letter of Miss Howe, dated Sunday, May 14th, of which before I had only extracts. She found no other letter added to that parcel, but this, and that which I copied myself in character last Sunday, while she was at church, relating to the smuggling scheme, are enough for me. Dorcas tells me that a lady has been removing her papers from the mahogany chest into a wainscot box which held her linen, and which she put into her dark closet. We have no key of that at present. No doubt but all her letters, previous to those I have come at, are in that box. Dorcas is uneasy upon it, yet hopes that her lady does not suspect her, for she is sure that she laid in everything as she found it. End of letter 1